The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is the show socially distanced. You know what we're all about at this point, or maybe you don't because we have a new time slot uh, on this here fine station. Um, and you're just tuning in for the first time because you don't typically listen on Friday afternoons, which is when we used to be. We're now on Thursday afternoons, probably just for this quarter. Um, I guess we should. Well, first off, I'm Paxton. With me, as always, is my co-host, Justin. How you doing, Justin? I'm doing okay. I'm glad to hear it. I'm excited about our uh, different day because being excited about it is probably uh, good. Uh, that's being a good host is being excited about everything. There's, there's no reason for pessimism about your time slot. Not in here. Um, so... If I've learned anything from influencers, it's to always be excited about everything all the time and the audience will come. We need to stop. We need to stop opening our shows with just, uh, you're listening to Casey. Yeah, we were too dry with this. We need to, what's up guys. I think, um, I think there's room for, uh, for that. Don't forget to smash that. Oh, it's not a like button. Smash that dial. Upward. Don't forget to just smash that dial to such an extent that you can't change the station anymore. We're really good at being influencers. Um, <laughs> this is going great already. Uh, we, we, we have what it takes to really, I think, um, make the switch to YouTube. But uh, no, um, so, so uh, yeah, our schedule is going to be weird for the next, what, 10 to 12 weeks or however long quarterly schedules on KUCI or I should know that having been on the station for two years now but it is what it is um we're we are going to be Thursdays from 4 to 5 p.m in what is currently listed as uh Kimberly Martin uh friend of well not friend of the station actual person on the station um hosts her show uh Real People of Orange County um, we will be filling in for her time slot most weeks. Uh, there will be weeks in which Kimberly hosts her show at from four to five. Um, I, I guess you'll just have to tune in to find out. Um, that, that that's that's going to be TVD. But you know what? This is a week where we actually are using her time slot we want to thank kimberly as well for allotting us her time slot this quarter because the schedule is confusing we should mention the reason we're not doing fridays as well is because if you listen last quarter um you probably barely listened because we had almost no shows because uh people actually care about college sports and do not care about uh college grads talking about <laughs> talking about video games in a very kind uh, of lukewarm fashion um so so it's understandable college so, sports get thousands of listeners how many listeners can our college graduates get let's let's not find out let's you know let's not look into that let's assume let's assume you know everyone's doing quadruple digits i think that's a 
that's a that's a that's a kind and fair way to look at it moving on uh so so this week uh we normally start our show with oh god i'm knocking my microphone all over the place normally we start our uh, just consummate professionalism one year into this show and as you know we're doing great um yes normally we we open our show with uh what's going on in the world of news in entertainment in particular now sometimes we do regular news but um i don't think anyone wants to hear us talk about really what's going on in the news this week because it's not fun it's not fun and uh it typically never is but uh this this week was an exceptionally sour one and i don't think i don't think it's for us to touch uh Uh, yeah i agree i think um I think we're trying to cultivate some good vibes to uh, resist the uh, ever ongoing bad vibes of the world. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, so we will not be discussing that. We won't really be discussing entertainment news either, because quite frankly, it's been a slow week. Um, we discussed potentially talking shrimp guy before going on air. We discussed the potentially talking about the Suicide Squad trailer before going on air. Uh, end of the day, I don't really know what there is to say about either. Um, I, I don't want to talk about Shrimp Guy. And no. my take on the Suicide Squad trailer is there's a shark. Yeah, and that's about the long and short. They're both, um, they're both a, a, a aquatic life-related uh, stories. So we have that going for us. Indeed, yes, and it's like we can draw out myriad connections uh, from that. There's a through line here. There's a through line here. We're not going to explore it, but there's a through line here. That's that's for it's for a headier show than ours. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we're not doing that this week. <laughs> yeah, no, this week we're going to do a double feast. Um, two feasts in the weast, two uh, different uh, media things that uh, Paxton and I have been. Well, they're, they're both games. We've been playing uh, two things this week. Um, we'll open with uh, My Feast, uh, which, which is... Which is also kind of My Feast to a lesser extent. We've yeah. got some crossover this week, finally. Yeah, and we may even let this... I don't know if this conversation will take the entire hour, but hey, if we can talk about uh, a cool indie horror game for a full hour, I think that's... Um, I think that is actually a great use of the airwaves. Like this is a really neat indie thing. So um, this week I played a game called uh, Mundown, which is a which is an indie horror game that takes place in the Swiss Alps. The kind of um, the big sort of like marketing push behind this game and marketing push is kind of like the thing the developer was kind of like selling it on. It's big sort of aesthetic shtick is that all of the textures are hand drawn and it's like basically uh, produced in this kind of like sketch style. And I mean, like, you know, a lot of games look hand drawn, but this game is, you know, it's 3D. It's a first person uh, horror game. Like, you know, like a lot of like post amnesia horror games are. And and yeah, and like all the textures are, you know, hand-drawn. So there's this like sketch-like quality on uh, 3D game objects. Yeah, I mean, hand-drawn and pencil too in completely right. black and white. Yeah. Yes, yes, that is important. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like that kind of, uh, and that was sort of the thing the game was sold on. And I think is thematically important and sometimes aesthetically important. We'll get into that as we like discuss some of like the... Uh, the thing is going on in it but yeah the the basic story is um you uh play as a man named the uh, kurdin i think is uh yeah I, be- I believe so i, I got yeah, to and, look it up now <laughs> and you basically you play as a man whose grandfather has just uh died and uh his grandfather lived in this town in the swiss alps uh mundan and basically you get a note from the local uh the local preacher who says anyway hey your grandfather died it sure did suck anyway uh he's gonna be buried by the time you would get here so don't come back okay bye <laughs> and naturally you being a very smart person go hmm i should go back that seems and weird. yeah <laughs> yeah it's like that seems weird i'm gonna check this out uh so really it's like just father jeremiah did a really bad job keeping you away and thus the rest of the plot happens um <laughs> God, uh, yeah, and so you return and you immediately find uh, your uh, 
you find the burnt out husk of your father's of your grandfather's barn and inside is the very not buried uh, body of your grandfather the like charred grant the charred body of your grandfather that is like almost baked into what is left of the wall it's yeah, he's a really a, eerie sight it, it is yeah like he's essentially embedded into the wall like it's really it's really freaky and also there is some kind of mysterious painter guy who is painting the burning barn. He seems pretty mean. I wonder what his deal is. Well, I think, and- I think just, just getting on opening on that real quick, like that mm-hmm. to me, was like the first very striking image of the game is like, there's a sort of, it's almost a flashback sequence. I, I don't quite know how to describe it, but it's a sort of, it's a, even though you weren't there to experience it it's sort of a, a flash to the past real quick of the barn burning and your grandfather screaming for help from inside while a man up on the hill paints said burning barn making no attempt to help your dying grandfather and it's a really just this is five minutes into the game you see this and it it, it, it took me aback i was like oh this is what we're doing here okay all right yeah, it's um, it's striking, and yeah, like you're right, the, the painting of the barn is indeed quite malicious. Um, so this is uh, so now that we kind of talked about like the basics of the plot, Paxton, how far did you uh, you've been playing this as well? I finished it last night, and before we go on to this discussion, I kind of want to know, Paxton, how far did you get into it? Because I don't want to spoil it for the listeners, but also like I don't want to spoil it for you either. So like I think there's a certain level of um. I want to know how deep we can get into this, basically. So I feel like we can probably fittingly get about as deep in as I am right now, because mm-hmm. I've played a God, probably about an hour, hour and a half, and the game is segmented into chapters um, by by days. Um, I don't know how many days are in the game. Um, I know there's at least four because you got to four, I, I'm aware, but I don't know how many there are in total. How many is it? I think there's five. Okay. Like I think there's basically like I don't even remember. Like there's a point where like the the structure kind of like opens up. Well, it's not as like segmented. Basically, sure. it's like five or six. Like sure. it's about a six hour game. Yeah. So I, yeah, I'm about an hour and a half in. Um, about midway into day two. Uh, so and I feel like where I'm at right now, I've kind of I'm kind of at a good point because I'm sort of past the expository stuff and i've Mm. sort of experienced the main gameplay mechanics um and beyond that i have no clue where the story is gonna go so where i'm at right now feels like a good place to it feels like i've experienced enough information where we can pretty explicitly relay information to the listeners um and then i mean beyond that obviously both for my sake and the listener's sake I still want to talk about what goes down from then on, but keep things vague, obviously. Um, Have you, um, well, I guess here's my question. Have you met the painter yet? I have not. No. Okay. I think that might be the very beginning of day three. So I'm going to talk about the painter a little bit in this because I think it's important for the, um, uh, you know, for like to explain what's going on thematically and like why the, uh, why like the hand-drawn style is interesting. Um, but uh, before we get into that, like, it, I think it is kind of like worth just sort of going over, yeah, like what is so immediately striking about the game. Um, so the other kind of like big plot thing that happens in the very beginning is you are, how does, how does the visit happen? Like the, basically like there is a main villain who is named Old Man and he is a, you know, malicious old man type wearing a hat who is like a kind of a, you know, sort of like a darkened uh, figure. Um, and he's, he's a little bit, uh, I, this is sort of one one critique I'll, I'll level to the game unless it goes somewhere interesting. He's a little bit of a played out design. I will say that. It's a, it's a played out design and I actually don't... So I don't know. I don't even know if I want to talk about issues yet. So yeah, I don't even really want to open with criticism because thus far I am loving this game to be clear. Okay. So we, what do you love about it so far? Uh, the, it really more than anything else, stylistically, uh, obviously, I mean, the pencil thing is just, it, it's beyond impressive. It's, it's, it stresses me out to look at the game. Like is what I'll say. Just thinking about the insane man hours that, as far as I'm aware, one guy did. I'm pretty sure it's one guy who did all the art for the game. I think I, the, the 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 vast majority, if not everything, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and so just see, and it, it's not 
it's not a sparse looking game. There's there's assets all over the place in this game. There's textures all over the place. This isn't, you know, the, this had to like I was I was I was talking about this with someone. I was saying like this is the kind of game that could only be made as a result of no sleep and no friends. And I don't want to I don't want to <laughs> dig at the uh, at the developer of this game because I'm sure he has a flourishing, bustling social life, or I I, I wish him one, but <laughs> I I can't fathom how this game could be made with one. Um, but beyond that, I think the other thing that has really struck me and has sort of been missed in the marketing because the pencil thing is so extraordinary, and you and I talked about this the other day, is the sound design. The sound design in that game is incredible. Um, the voice acting, too, in particular from the the priest character who is like who we should also mention the this game is um delivered in a dead language um it's a language that is some kind of combination of german and italian is what it sounds like Uh, it's a language that is no longer spoken is 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 what i've been made aware to believe Um, really i did not know that that's incredible yeah i tried googling it and i could not find the name of said language but yeah i believe it's some kind of combination of german and italian and it's a really fascinating kind of language that is like weirdly sing-songy it has the sing-songiness of italian but like the abrasiveness of german at the same time it's got a really interesting quality to it and the priest character has this perfect um this perfect kind of like uh uh what, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like uh, withering kind of fearful, nervous quality to it. But there's a weird kind of creepiness to his voice as well that I can't quite put my finger on. He sounds like a kindly, nervous old man. And like, yet... So that's the thing is like he sounds, he almost sounds like more like the like a protagonist of like a 19th century like horror short story than the main character does. Like he has this kind of, yeah, like this like quavering uh, kind of, um, yeah, like this quavering kind of like manner like about his speech and also like in his kind of like, you know, in, in his pose, like he's very hunched over. Um, like he has these like wide, like frightened eyes. And yeah, like he really does remind me of like the protagonist of like an MR James short story or something. And it's really, yeah, it's a really great performance. I mean, the, um, you know, very, just very appropriate. Um, the, the performance from the main character is, I'm going to not as strong like i think it's good like it's it's shockingly good for an indie game um, it's a little it's a little um like what's the kind of like player surrogate master chief type thing it doesn't sound like master chief but the kind of just generic voice of like player can put themselves in the shoes of the protagonist um just sort of plain unremarkable yeah. but not bad voice but still definitely like identifiable through like the language though like the language like the language is doing a lot of work the fact that it's you know like you're getting not like some kind of like awful accented english but like the um a language that is either yeah like dead or like very specific to like localized to like this actual place in reality because mundon is also like an actual place in switzerland Mm -hmm. um and yeah, no, you're right. Like, but you're right that the sound design is doing a ton of work, and it's especially paired, I think, um, most effectively with, for me, like, sort of the thing that immediately like unsettled me in the uh, in the game is that whenever you look at a painting or an item you can pick up, what happens is the the camera, you know, the camera such as it is, basically slowly kind of like zooms in on um, like on the image or on the uh, or on the item and it, it's pretty you know like with rare exception it's incredibly effective because it feels like it, like your vision is basically being taken out of your control and like you know that one um that one scene in kubrick's uh, in kubrick's the shining where basically uh what, what's uh shelly duvall shelly duvall is running around sees the two the 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 man and the man in the dog suit and and basically and then the camera just like flat like you know you get like that like quick uh that quick zoom to uh you know and the thing is like it's not that quick in mundown like it's a it's a slow gradual kind of like you know like dread dreadful kind of uh zoom in but it's sort of it 
but the effect of like the Kubrick scare is basically like there's this thing that's a distance from you that you're suddenly made to be like, you know, in much closer proximity to, and you don't want to be that close to it. And that's kind of the thing with uh, this is like, you know, you look at something and then it is very gradually forcing you to be in closer proximity to it. And what these zooms are accompanied by when you look at a painting is is like accompanying audio. Like there's this like oral landscape that accompanies pretty much every painting in the game. And so it's like, you're being kind of like dragged in to, you know, it's like you're being dragged into this thing against your will. And the main, and yeah, and that's really interesting because like what a good horror game does that like it takes control away from you in like, you know, ways that are subtly disempowering or overtly disempowering. And I think that is like one of the, um, by taking like the actual like mechanism of your sight kind of like away from your complete control. I think, uh, I, I think that is like a thing that really, really kind of freaked me out about. What I, um, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, like, I think that really freaked me out about the game like early on. Yeah. And I, and I think uh, one thing that is effective about it too, is you can move away. You're not locked into looking at this thing. Once you start zooming, you can, you can pivot away and stop zooming in on it, but you're kind of enticed to, uh, yeah. not not only because again your your vision is focused on it, and if you want to keep staring in that direction, you're going to have to zoom, but because you do sort of want to take in the textures and particularly of the paintings. There was a there was a moment I had early on where there's a painting. I looked at and it was like a painting of like children like in the, like yeah it, like in the in the snowy mountains um carry like in the alps uh, like carrying skis and mm -hmm. like but because it's it because it's hand drawn in pencil and it's sort of like the children are sort of small within the frame the details on their face are very sparse and there's something so just eerie you know it's that it's that classic like the less detail on a face the more it it, it naturally like inherently creeps us out and yeah. it's these, these little kids on the mountains just with these sort of like long smiles and dots for eyes and not much else and i like couldn't st and like it's accompanied with the sounds of because like, as you said when you zoom in there's sounds giving context to the painting it's accompanied to the sounds of, of skiing and children laughing and i couldn't stop staring at it i, I was looking at this painting for like 20 seconds just yeah. simply because it was just such a jarring unsettling image but i was just like what like why is this unsettling me so much um and so the game has that effect as well there's also an like another thing that i really do applaud this game for and i again while i had some i thus far had some issues with the the black hat like mysterious villain character um, in terms of in terms of just design above all else this game also employs um, a lot of creepy little girl and like goat images that like invoke yeah. like pagan like very on the nose pagan symbolism and it's somehow very effective even though i've seen even though we've seen it in like the witch with this game which this game clearly takes oh yeah. <laughs> from. Um, yeah it's not subtle about it even though those that imagery is in the witch it still works in this game because it is delivered in such a way that is so eerie like the first sighting you have of the little girl is her and two goats on a cliff very far away um yeah. just kind of peering seemingly down at you and it's just like there's something so just off about this very far away little girl standing so still with such a um with such a like an eagle-eyed view of everything in front of her um, and there are more interactions with this little girl as you go on uh, or more sightings of her, but that first one just really is intense. Yeah. And I think like part of, part of what makes um, uh, Florina is the name of the girl. Um, and I think part of like really what makes her scenes work is the fact that unlike a lot of like, you know, scary little girls, she's not actually uh, malicious. She actually helps you, yeah. Yeah, Literally, like she she provides like clues of what you need to do to solve puzzles. And I think that's yeah, and like, and there's not like, a, and I'll you know, it's like a minor kind of spoil. Like there's not like a twist coming where she has secretly been malicious the whole time. Either. Interesting. And the th and the thing is though, like that that doesn't mean that she's like you know an unqualified good force either. I think that's the thing that's really interesting about her is that she is very um, just very uncanny. 
and like hard to kind of like pin down what her deal is. Um, and, you know, in most, uh, in most playthroughs of the game, she will never actually speak. And also the scene that you're mentioning, like there, um, uh, that scene's actually really good for talking about um, why the, um, or rather what the sketch uh, art style is like doing thematically because she throws down, when you see Florina for the first time, she's like looking at you from a distance, she throws down a paper plane that has a drawing on it. And it's a drawing that like, you know, basically is sketching out like the location of a thing. You know, it's like helping you with a puzzle. Um, and what she draws, like, you know, she draws the sun like pointing in a direction um, that like, you know, to like line up a shadow to reveal there's an item there, you know, we, we've seen Indiana Jones. Um, <laughs> but, you know, in, in drawing that, and when you look at that, the position of the sun moves. And then, you know, like a uh, Cordine like looks back her and goes like, oh, I think just literally says, did you just move the sun? And, um, and that is basically the thing that the game plays with. And this is, I think like a pretty like, Again, this is also sort of a well-worn trope, but I think it actually deals with it pretty well in this game or like, you know, deploys it pretty well. It is what the hand-drawn style is doing is it's essentially, it's essentially, how do I put this? It is making it so the distinction between the real, like real and representation is kind of like hard to pin down. And yeah. And like that kind of like to the point where like images, you know, paintings have the same kind of like the same ontological status as like people in the world. Like they are, you know, occupying the same level of being and that kind of, um, and that is like this way that this game kind of like, you know, generates tension. And like, that's like part of like the effect of like, you know, zooming in on the painting and hearing something. It's like, there is a, there is a reality to this image that is like, you know, that you think it doesn't have as an image, but then you, you know, you zoom in on it and like, you know, you start hearing things and like suddenly it seems more real. And then like this girl draws a picture that literally moves the sun around you. And, you know, like your sense of like the, the sense of like the stable kind of like a differentiation between like an image and reality becomes very, um, becomes very unstable. And uh, the game really does like, and it plays with that. And the thing is like, what makes it even more unstable is the fact that like every texture is hand drawn. So you can see, you know, like, so there, you know, like the reality of the game was literally drawn into existence. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And that kind of, um, yeah. And, and that's sort of like this thing that it is like fundamentally kind of playing with. And man, I, I kind of want to talk, uh, you know, we're near a time. I kind of want to keep talking about this game. I was, was going to say the same. Like I, uh, I mean, you know, if we run out of steam in the next half, then yeah, we do have a, another feast we were planning on getting into, but I, I there's still so much more I want to cover of this game. Um, I'm not yeah. really done talking about Moondown yet. So yeah, uh, yeah, me either. Say right now, the other feast we were planning on discussing and may still discuss, you know, with what time we have left in the episode later on, um, is Max Payne 3, uh, an older, more AAA game from, I think, 2011, which probably many people are familiar with. I think 2011. I, I think so, yeah. Um, and so uh, if there's time, we'll get to Max Payne 3. But I, yeah, I, I got so much more I want to say and hear about Mundown. So uh, we'll be back with more of that in just a minute. Stay with us. to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is Socially Distanced. My name is Justin Kiever, and with me is my co-host, Paxton Wright. Say hello, Paxton. Hello. 
All right, good. That's Paxton. That's um, me. <laughs> so uh, today, I think what we have for you is a very special, um, you know, hour-long feast in the weast. Where last, uh, you know, in the last half hour, we started talking about uh, Mundown, a game that I completed uh, this week and that Paxton started this week, and we finished that half hour with a lot of things left to say about this game. So we're going to continue that discussion exactly. and possibly possibly get into Max Payne 3 if we run out of things to say. But, you know, we'll find out. <laughs> I'm not feeling like we will. I, I'm, I'm feeling good. We, I mean, we were just during the break, like, we there's still, like, six other things we still want to go over. So yeah, what and, happens. So, yeah, and what I wanted to kind of start with was, like, you know, in the first half of the conversation, we alluded to having some problems with, like, some of the story stuff, particularly around the antagonist of the game, who is the uh, the mysterious kind of old man. And what I wanted to ask uh, Paxton was kind of, like, I wanted to kind of, like, talk about those a little bit, because I think the way that story goes can kind of dovetail into a lot of this other stuff we want to talk about. So how much of that character, um, the evil old man, have you seen so far? I've seen him maybe three or four times. I've Obviously, there's a, there's an encounter with him very early on in the game, which I was not expecting. I was expecting, like, I knew there was an antagonist in the game because I'd heard some, I'd done a teeny bit of research before I played. Mm-hmm. I knew there was, like, a central antagonist. I didn't expect to see him for a while, but it's almost immediately at the top of the game. Um, so I had that encounter with him. I had, uh, there's, like, an encounter with him in the church, which I won't really okay. get into. And I think there's, like, one, maybe two other encounters I've had with him thus far. But so far, not a lot. So you said your problem with him is, like, mostly aesthetic, right? Just mostly kind of like... in design. Okay. He just looks like a, a, a villain I've seen in 30 other things. <laughs> Mysterious guy in a big black-brimmed hat whose eyes are obscured by the shading of the hat. Like, I... Yeah, like my so in much the way that like you look at this guy and kind of get a sense of what his deal is, um, that's kind of like my problem with him and with like the main thrust of the plot is that I think it, ex- I think there is a kind of familiar sort of expository structure that um, kind of uh, permeates the game, where basically at one point a character will say a thing that suggests you know like that suggests the nature of something but it's basically just says it like you know it suggests it in a way that's really hard to miss the point and then about 30 minutes later like the thing will just be like explained pretty much fully so it's like the game sort of like always explaining itself twice like always kind of like trying to be mysterious while basically telling you what the deal is and i think the the big example of that early on um is actually in the uh, the church encounter with uh, the evil old man where basically what happens is like you one of the first things that happens uh, in the game is like you yeah you have this encounter and you come away with it with a kind of like a your hand changes it gets burnt it kind of like takes on the texture of like tree bark that's what it like looked like to me and it like its joints become screwed like your fingers are seemingly against their will like bending backwards and yeah, yeah. And like it's creep, it's creepy. It um like I think it's a pretty good effect. And basically, what that is is like you have this kind of like connection to this uh, this evil old guy. And when you enter the church, uh, like I'll go into a little bit of detail about that. Like when you enter the church, like basically you've also allowed this evil thing to enter this place. And he, uh, you know, he goes like, "Hey, thanks, thanks for getting me in here. Um, you know, I thanks for sneaking me in with you." And then he says something to the effect of like, "You know, I taught some people at Troy the same trick." And like that was th- that I think is the worst line in the game. And I think it like really kind of like overly like, okay, so you know, like what your deal is, like you are some kind of like. Um, it's also the context of like it being in a church. It kind of becomes like, okay, you're the sort of, you know, like eternal force. Uh, he's like a, he's like a, a scratch devil type character, which I think much. he might literally be the devil. It felt like. So, and, and that is the thing that kind of like, this was sort of the, the thing I was worried about the whole time, which is the, the, the plot that like the actual plot that is being kind of like laid out and the sort of like the history that is motivating this kind of like this evil old guy story, like this mysterious figure is a deal with the devil plot. Like it is a very straightforward, like a deal with possibly the literal devil. And it seems like for a lot of the game, the literal devil kind of story, like, yeah, like this guy is just, you know, he's the devil. Yeah. Um, now I'll say, and like, this is maybe getting into... 
I think that becomes ambiguous by the end of the game. And I think that's a good thing. Um, I think that is a very good thing, actually. Yeah. Um, because I don't know, like, I, I don't know what it is lately. I, I've been kind of, maybe it was like listening to this podcast, maybe it was watching the miniseries of Stephen King's The Stand and like listening to a podcast about it later. Like, so the, the Stand, like people are talking about God constantly. I listened to this podcast about it where basically the podcasters kind of said like, it's very possible that like, these characters are like misrecognizing like this kind of like this other mythology, like this other kind of force as like, you know, the Christian mythology. And I've been kind of like fascinated with that as like a trope for a while. And there's this um, short story that I read in undergrad that uh, that Mundown kind of reminded me of a little bit in terms of its sort of religiosity. Cause like the, the characters in this game are like religious in that kind of like, um, you know, like local Christian mythology kind of way. Like it's a Christian uh, community. Um, but also a very isolated community. And what that reminded me of was this uh, short story called Negotium Perambulans by E.F. Benson, which is this kind of a, have you, have you read that? I, I haven't, no. Okay, it, it's good. It's like, a, it's like, it's a Lovecraft-ish kind of story, though I think less overtly racist, um, even though, I mean, it was <laughs> that's, that's, like not, that's not hard to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, it, it was like written in 1920. So I mean, Benson, I'm sure, Actually, I don't know. Hold on. I need to look up if E.F. Benson was. Uh, <laughs> um, I think E.F. Benson, Benson was white. He, he probably me... had some thoughts on things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You, you know, like this is someone who, uh, you know, was born in 1867. So uh, an, an English fellow born in 1867. So anyway, it's a story that's about like a small English town that... Um, that the, the main character, uh, so Negotium Paramelons, I should say, is a story about a small English town um, where the main character went there as a child and kind of like learned and would like, you know, attend to these like sermons at this church. And uh, the church was really notable because it has like these four panels and like three of which are, um, th three of which are kind of like, you know, scenes from, uh, you know, like Christian mythology. And the fourth is basically a priest trying to kind of like, you know, ward away an evil slug thing. Okay. And basically like what the, and what the story is about is about like the way this town kind of like attempts to, and ultimately sort of basically is kind of like attempting to uh, take this sort of like this local, basically a local haunting and integrate it into a kind of like a greater Christian mythology. And so this local haunting that is like a, you know, like a, we'd say is a quote unquote, like pagan kind of um, uh, mythology. So like, like basically like a local, like there's something, there's a non-Christian entity, like sort of like, you know, greater spirit thing that is like haunting this town. And the town is attempting to kind of like contain it within kind of like the, the Christian mythos. And, that um and i don't know like that always kind of stuck with me like this this attempt by this town to kind of like to take this like unexplainable thing and to try and kind of like fold it into a belief structure um that they could like you know reckon with and kind of like deal with it in that way mundown kind of does something similar where you encounter where it basically it seems like the town wants to understand the evil old man as the literal devil and he, you know he like all of like the whole like signing a deal with the devil contract signing stuff is in there but nonetheless it becomes much less clear as it goes on like what the nature of this guy actually is and i think mm -hmm. like there's this kind of i think a very possible like a very real possibility that like that there's a misrecognition happening where like he um and i think that's ultimately justified at the end of the game too where like there is it seems like it's the devil, but it's actually something much more local and harder to understand. And that I think really works to the game's benefit where like, I think you, in the early going, it gives you this really heavy handed exposition and kind of like lays out like things a little too clearly. And then I think by the end, it pretty subtly, like, I think it wants to like, I think it wants to destabilize that a yeah. little bit. Yeah, And where like there is just something like there is something about Mundan as a place that um, eludes that kind of explanation. And that actually 
in a way kind of dovetails into um well one it's like part of like what made me think of silent hill with the whole time i was playing this which is like I, I've, of... I've gotten that impression as well and i can't there's some imagery that invokes it but it's more in the general plot the general yeah. idea of yeah small sort of out of the way town with a really dark side that seems exclusive to the town um yeah 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 and, and i think that like that kind of like the the specificity of like the the haunting of mundown is something that kind of i think that's the impression you're left with at the end and believe it or not for me that kind of dovetails with the combat which you, we should maybe mention like this game has combat and yeah stuff and stuff. yeah and, and it, which I, i've only had one experience so far because it's, it's i would assume one combat experience a day because you have the day chapters and at, at nighttime there's the it, at least again i've only experienced one night in the game so far so i don't know if that changes but um uh, it, it's fine I, the, yeah. my one experience with it is it's it's perfectly okay it's a little creepy because i i tried to go stealthy i tried to not fight um and so there is a bit of an eeriness trying to be stealthy with it but it it didn't it didn't when i first stepped out at nighttime because there's a hard there's a hard change from day to night in the game. When yeah. I first stepped out at nighttime and the music got really eerie and I saw things walking around, I was like, "Oh no. Oh no." And then I kind of started taking some steps forward and I was like, "Oh. Okay. All right. I'm going to get out of here." And that was kind of the the long and short of it. Yeah, like it like yeah, it's basically, you know, like it's a it's a stealth thing you know like you can crouch down and like try and like sneak by these uh these things like the first enemy you encounter are basically men that are like or you know humanoid beings that are like wrapped in straw like they're straw people basically but you can like see faces kind of embedded in their like torso area yeah um which is which is you know kind of freaky. It's, a cre- it's a creepy image they're they are it's a good design i'll, I'll yeah. say that yeah and yeah no like it it's okay and the combat kind of stays just okay um like there is a kind of like there's this whole like upgrade system where you can like you know increase your fear resistance like it gets very hard to like look at these things for the main character and like your vision will start shaking when you have like there's a rifle in the game and uh you know you can basically can't aim with it if you get too freaked out and you can like increase your fear resistance by brewing coffee and you know you can find food to increase your health and like these are systems that like to be honest, you don't really need to engage with, like, I found the coffee making just kind of like mechanically enjoyable, just like, you know, picking up the, like, I found all the steps kind of fun to do, but like, you don't really need to engage with those systems. And yeah, like the combat's not, yeah, it's nothing to write home about. It's something that's there. And I think actually like having that is like good for like, I think it's good for generating like some amount of tension. I think it like, I think like those like combat free horror games can become a little too frictionless sometimes. That, that's kind of the, that's kind of the issue that yet yeah, that's, that, that's sort of a real problem we've come to in indie horror is really like you either have walking simulators, which again, for a while were creepy and, and were effective. And then you get to a point where you're just like, Oh, there's no threat though. I, I don't, uh, the imagery yeah. only goes so far. And then you introduce combat, which can really easily get to the point of like taking away tension in and of itself because you feel equipped to handle enemy encounters. And then you have sort of what you have with your outlasts and your alien isolation, which is there is an enemy, there is a stalker, and you have no means of defense and you need to hide and run. Um, and that's really effective. That's scary, and it does work, but not every horror game can or should be that. So when you're not going the alien isolation route, it's a matter of how do you do walking simulator or how do you do combat effectively? And it's really hard to pull off. Like in most yeah. in most indie horror games I've played that go one of either route, even the like good ones, it doesn't it typically waters down the experience a little bit yeah yeah definitely like i um you know one of my favorite indie horror games ever is soma soma is one of those things where you just run from stuff occasionally um i I don't think soma is very scary though like it works because it has a good story no um and yeah no like i think 
yeah, like the, the, the combat in Mundown is not amazing. The stealth isn't amazing, but like it, it does what it needs to do of like providing a certain amount of friction to like maintain ten, like a kind of like a nice frightening tension in the story. Um, so it's like, it's serviceable. I will say also like it does, there's one pretty masterful moment where like, like Mundown's pretty open, you know, you get released in like these big areas and it like directs you in a way, but you're kind of like the areas get like bigger as you go and you have to like navigate it a little more freely as you go. And there is a, there, there's a pretty amazing moment where the, the game has like the main, the game has one jump scare and there's a point where it manipulates that openness where basically like you haven't noticed that you've entered like where you basically haven't noticed that you've entered like a more confined area that can be used against you because like the game because you're doing something that's so open and it basically it moves from that kind of like open stealth action to like is this a, a, a scripted scare is this early on in the game or is this later on? Because there was, I know there was a moment that I was like, oh, when it happened. And I, I don't know that it was, I don't know that I'd describe it as a full on jump scare, but it took me aback when it happened for a second. And I don't know if we're talking about the same sequence or not. No, it's, it's in like day four. Like oh, this okay. is, uh, I, sh- I wish I shouldn't have told you the day. No, like it, um, like it actually, it got me to shout like, it, um, okay. Like that was a like you know yell like swear at my uh, computer screen moment <laughs> like it was a really good jump scare, um, and but the, like the thing that I think kind of like works for me about some of the combat especially with the um, with the hay people is. I like that you see them in the day or you see what, you know, bundles of hay that look like the hay people that are pro- that probably are the hay people during the daytime when they are not active. And you look at that and like, they're basically, they're this like, or essentially, yeah, like they're just these like completely still bundles of hay around that like, you know, have the same shape as the hay people. And so they're felt, so like you feel them as a, like a threatening presence, even though, like you know they are non-threatening and like that's part of like i think like the um experience like the, like the localized kind of like the aura of the town is like that even when these things are not like they're always there like they are just kind of like they're always there and like they're, they're just not active all of the time and it's, it's like you know, and, and like the, it, it's also not always like the clear delineation between day and night either and like so like their rules actually become kind of mysterious and like that i think is really effective that's interesting because it, it gives me you know speaking of the silent hill parallel like th- there's uh, there's a few moments like that in the silent hill franchise and one in particular that like really stands out to me that is a similar idea i, I believe it's in silent hill 2 it might be 3 but i think it's 2 where there's a sequence when you are walking on like a um basically like a a, a, a a graded like a metal graded floor mm-hmm. and as you, it's like through a hallway and it's a metal graded floor over like a seeming abyss of nothingness below you and like dangling from the metal grates are some weird like kind of indescribable creatures that are like climbing that are like climbing the grate under you and don't attack they don't threaten you they don't they don't pose any threat but there's just some life below your feet that you don't want to get on the other side of the grate. You don't want these things to come up, but they're not, they don't technically pose a threat, but they do just make you so uncomfortable because it's also, they're below you. You're sort of seeing them from the top down. There's kind of encased in shadow. You can't really make out what you're looking at, but there's just this presence that doesn't actually pose any physical threat to you in that moment but like nevertheless is intimidating yeah yeah and no, I, th- I think that's two i'm pretty sure that's two. i think it, i think it's two i think it's two because two has a few moments like that um yeah yeah um and, and yeah and like the silent hill comparison really like even like the like the delineation between sort of like day and night and mundown is very silent hill like you know silent hill kind of like moves between it's sort of like um you know like, like it's like just foggy version of the town and it's like blood covered uh you know like evil version of the like you know more overtly evil version of the town yeah um man there's yeah and i'll say that yeah you know us sitting here comparing one down to silent hill especially silent hill 2 is a uh is a sign you should play this game <laughs> yeah 
Um, there, there is a moment too. I, I, I don't know necessarily that this ties in exactly to what we're talking about. Kind of, kind of the idea of jump scares, though. There is a moment very early on in the game. It's not even a moment. It's sort of a just a. It's a moment I personally had when because I was texting you about this sequence the other day. Um, I w- there's a part when you're making your way to the the church you see the little girl on the cliff and whatnot and she throws the paper airplane when you're making your way there um you're you're walking sort of along this path along the cliffs and as you're walking through that as you're walking along that path there's uh almost like a fork you can either keep going along the path or there's like a a man-made tunnel running through the mountain Mm -hmm. but the tunnel is obstructed by not like not like collapsed stone a literal like physical brick wall that has been built into the tunnel and you're like what what's going on there and so i like my curiosity was peaked so i i stopped on the cliff trail for a second and walked into this tunnel to see what this was and as you walk into the tunnel there's like an intercom like some kind of like intercom radio device on the ceiling which is very strange because all the other technology in this game is very antiquated and like very i I don't i'm not even analog like um what's what's the word i'm looking for like like pre like pre-industrial revolution kind of technology um if you want yeah like yeah like it's very like it's very deliberately hard to place i feel like yeah like it feels like it it feels like you're maybe like in the 50s visiting a place that is not like you know moved on technologically since the 20s exactly and you and you sort of you walk into this dead end tunnel and there's like an intercom pa thing on the ceiling that's just playing static um and in like on the the wall that that blocks the tunnel there's a little like covered up peephole like it's a conspicuous peephole you see that mm-hmm. it's there and you're like I was just like, what the, do I want to, do I want to do this? And so I opened the peephole and I looked in and there's, there's a hole in there and I'm looking through the hole and there's just nothing on the other side. There's nothing there. And I'm like, is something going to pop up there? It's the unknowing of like, is something going to pop up? Is nothing going to pop up? Is it just going to be a, a, a people? Is there something I'm supposed to be looking for? Is there like a solution to a puzzle on the other side of this? And just staring through this peephole for a minute with this loud static playing above you, Ooh. like just just with a, a question of like, why is this here? Um, which is also very Silent Hilly. Silent, Hilly has, Silent Hill has a lot of like red herring, like scares, and like non-scares in it as well and that sort of invoked that but that was also really early on in the game i experienced that and it just it made my skin crawl in such a specific way and there's another non-scare too um Mm -hmm. later in the game which you and i have also discussed which is like it's it apes on the like kind of infamous doom three. You, you said this in a tweet of yours, like the infamous doom three mirror puzzle or not yeah. puzzle. Um, Easter. Yeah. yeah just the, the mirror scare where like you, you run into a restroom and then like, you know, you look at the mirror and then the, the you get like this, like heart, like this quick zoom in is like the, the soundtrack screams at you for a minute and you look scary. And it's like, it's the dumbest thing in the world it, in doom three. It, it works. It, it's like most of doom three. It it's horror is ambitious and doesn't work at all. Um, <laughs> and and uh but in this case it's more or less the same thing the difference being is it's not a hard cut to boo you look scary now it's a slow zoom into oh you're starting to look kind of scary your face is getting weird and there's like an eerie there's an eerie sort of like moody um music playing overhead and then what really sold it to me because again sort of non-scare you can see that the the black-hatted man is behind you in the mirror but his head is cut off you like, or it appears to be the black hat. It's some figure is behind you in the mirror and its head is cut off. You can't, the, you can't see, you can't see its head in the reflection. Um, but it's got one glowing like white hand, which is kind of presumably like a hand that you have switched out now mm-hmm. that you have your like dead hand. Mm-hmm. And you just, you see this, you see your face kind of disintegrating. You hear this really dreadful music and you see this figure behind you. And I'm I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, I have to 180 and see what's behind me. And you know what? I'm near positive it's not gonna be anything. 
I'm, I am 90% sure I'm going to turn around and everything's going to be normal. And that's, what's going to make this so effective. But what if it's not normal though? And like, mm-hmm. it's, I just slowly, slowly 180 with this sense of dread of like, it's going to be fine. Nothing's going to happen. <laughs> I know, I know how this scare goes and turned around and lo and behold, nothing, nothing, nothing changed, but it's still just that slow suspense of turn. Like I need to see what's there like yeah. that it works so well and then when you look back in the mirror your face does not change anymore you, your face stays the same it's it, it works great but yeah that that mirror and that tunnel are great examples of very silent hillish non-scares which i i love and i don't know if anything's going to come of that tunnel later but as it stands at the beginning of the game there's nothing there and that makes it 20 times more eerie yeah it's the the tunnel stays area it doesn't become like super important as far as i know um th- there are some like little optional things you can find though and maybe that maybe that was one of them i definitely didn't find everything um so and, and like the the sort of like non-scares like the the scary non-scares that you're talking about are also kind of we're reaching the end of the time here but one thing i do want to mention is like you're they circle around like vision right and i think this game also deploys one of my just like absolute favorite like video game tropes and movie tropes too, but especially video game tropes, which is the character at a distance watching you. Mm-hmm. And which is just like a favorite of mine. Like I still adore Half-Life 2 um, because it does that with like the G-Man, G-Man all the time. Yeah. And that's actually like the reason that Half-Life 2 works as a game is because like it's this dumb, you know, it's a dumb sci-fi story thing, you know, fighting the aliens. But the whole time, like the presence of the G-Man, this kind of like this like you know like there's a sense of like you know it's this power fantasy it's meant for you and that's the thing like all games kind of like they have to center their player to some extent or another because like they're designed to be played by a player but you know in half-life 2 you have this presence that is watching you that is like you know while all this is built for you like there's this skepticism that builds in your mind that like you know it is all built for you but to to what end like maybe i'm not actually you know, what is my actual role in this? Like there's this outside, like there's this gaze that I can't quite pin down that is making me doubt like my own, like that is making me like rethink my own centrality to this or like maybe think there's a purpose to like my importance here that I can't see. Yeah. Mundown kind of does the same thing where like multiple times you'll just like see these characters at a distance watching you. The girl is one of them. Um, The old man will kind of like pop up in a very G-man-y kind of way. Um, There's one almost immediately at the very beginning um your character is like riding into town on a bus and you have like full control to swivel swivel your head around and look around and like among a little patch of trees this is like two minutes into the game there's a figure in that in those trees staring at you Mm -hmm. and it's like okay okay it's gonna be one of those i got you (laughs) and and i think like that is like one of the it's just the thing that I think is really like that makes horror games work is like, and that's, you know, again, a thing that Silent Hill does like Silent Hill, like, you know, that town builds itself for the people it like, you know, is dragging there. And like, that's part of the horror is that like, it is morphing around you in a way that tortures you. And I think that is like, I think like through these kind of like, you know, like the trope of like characters at a distance watching you, like it is, it's revealing the extent to which you are on display for something that you can't see. No. And there's a moment at the very end of the game, um, which I, hopefully this is not a spoiler, but like you're walking through a building and you see a, a, a picture on a wall. Like it, the game doesn't draw attention to it. And it's a picture of the evil old man, but there is this like beam that's like right at his eye level. And it's this great image because, you know, like he's there and you feel his presence, but you have no sense of where he's looking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, so it's like this gaze that you can't, that you cannot return, that you cannot kind of like, you know, exert your power over. Very and, similar to the mirror scare at the beginning. Yeah. 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 And it's just like, it's, and I think that like that, it's like that idea, like that's one of the, these ideas that really makes this game work. Yeah. It, it's, it's it's a good game folks that that and like I, I i am someone who is generally far more scared by like horror for me typically is most effective when it's about like human sadism and human cruelty um that's typically when it hits me the hardest uh the, like more sort of fantastical um other world like you know 
aliens, specters, um, those sorts of things do nothing for me typically. Uh, for some reason, pagan stuff also hits me in a certain way. Uh, like I, I get really affected by stuff like the witch, the Blair Witch Project, like Midsummer, the Wicker Man, like that pagan imagery just gives me the willies instead. And so I like this game's doing what it needs to do. Um, <laughs> anyway, we really got to get going here, but uh, yeah, Mundown, it's got its problems. It ain't perfect, but I still kind of can't recommend it enough. Um, and I, it sounds like you're on the same page here. Yeah. It, yeah. it, it ends really well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I can't say that about, about a lot of games. So check it out. Especially not horror games. Um, yeah, I, I am, uh, looking forward to getting this beaten as soon as possible. Check it out. It's M U N D A U N. It's available basically on all platforms. So, uh, no excuse not to play it if you play video games. Um, all right. Uh, take care, everybody. See you next week. Yeah, take care. All right, bye-bye.